You're listening to the Amazing Women Podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best-selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. Today we're talking with Kara Macklin. Kara is a, a coach, amongst other things. She's a business owner. She's taken a business, a family business actually, and gone from 250 staff up to 600. She's been around the world. She's gone to school in various places. Uh, she's really an amazing person. She fits our definition of amazing women to a T, but I'm gonna let her tell you about herself and what she does. So why don't you start out by telling my listeners your current profession, which is coaching and running a uh, some sort of a senior healthcare facility, right? Uh, tell us a little about that. What do you do? So currently, so my previous role was in healthcare, um, which we'll probably get into that. But currently, I founded my own business during lockdown, Caram. Um, so I've combined my the entrepreneurial business acumen I have with my coaching. I trained as a coach as well. So I coach other entrepreneurs and, and business leaders who are very entrepreneurial to, to grow their business. Give us an example of one of your great success stories. So I have a client who was a, is a partner in an accountancy firm. Um, so they own the firm and I was working with them last year and obviously lockdown happened this year and they have continued to scale their business during lockdown and expand their team and and, and she said to me, once they get over the initial first two weeks of the crisis, she said the work that we had done last year, although we didn't realize what was coming, um, she said the work that her and I did together was the foundation for her own leadership and her ability to run that business very differently, very quickly, um, and, and to continue to grow and scale it. So that was one that was you know, not planned, um, but it was great to see that the foundation work that was put in um, allowed someone to not go into crisis mode, but continue to thrive in, in the pandemic. Well, that's a great example of a of a project or a business that you didn't necessarily bring it from this amount of revenue per year to a bigger amount of revenue, which is always the stories you hear. You actually made this business strong enough that it survived a crisis, which is just as good, if not better, than growing the revenue or the profit, right? Because if you're out of business, it doesn't really matter. You can't make anything. So that's a testament to your your talents and to them paying attention and listening to what you told them to do, right? You get yes. you get the greatest <laughs> ideas if your clients don't follow through, it doesn't work. Well, that's that's key for me. When I meet a client first, um, I do one hour discovery call with them because it's a 50-50 partnership. You know, I won't work with anybody if I don't believe that they're in it more than I am because I can only give the advice and coach and, you know, unless they want to achieve and really make changes, they're, they're actually wasting their money. I couldn't take their money off them because they're not going to achieve anything. So, it, you know, as well as obviously paying me financially, um, they have to be committed to, to making the change and doing things differently. Otherwise, you know, it's wasting their time for both parties. Um, so, so that's a process that I go through to make sure I, I work with the right people. So would you say it's more important to be a good student rather than hire a great coach? Yes, you have I mean first and foremost you have to understand that you need to learn and develop and you know every leader that wants to develop they have to have that first before they get a great coach. The best coach cannot make um a great leader any better. Um so you you need that most definitely more than anything. 
Well, there are lots of people out there who, who have hired or want to hire a coach. Let's, let's address the people who are thinking about hiring a coach. What should they be looking for? What are some criteria that they should, besides what they should look for in themselves, what qualities should they, should they look for in a coach? Is it experience? Is it a track record? Is it attitude? You know, what, what do you think is uh, the most important thing to look for? I think there's a number of key things. Um, firstly, the client needs to really figure out what they want. I often see that people come to me and they're not sure what they want the coach to work with them on. Um, people get confused as well between a coach and a mentor. I'm actually both. I do um, both types of work with my clients. So a coach is someone who will ask you questions that they can get, you know, help you develop yourself. A mentor is someone who has been in business and can give you the advice. Um, so you might find quite a lot of coaches might have a psychology background or a human resource background. Um, whereas I obviously bring the business acumen and the mentoring to it as well. So, so once you find someone with, you know, that, um, the next part is, as you said, yes, attitude, um, you've used the word, but for me, it's chemistry and trust. You know, you really, you're going to be opening up to this person, warts and all of yourself, your business, you need to trust them 100%. Um, to be able to open up to them. And, and I would always say to clients, talk to two or three coaches. Even if you like the first one, go and interview two or three and be sure that you've got the right person. So what I'm hearing then is do your research, but also know the difference between a mentor and a coach. And it sounds like a mentor is somebody who's been there and done that and can give you some of their experiences, give you a little advice, whereas a coach is more of a day-to-day -day behavioral kind of a kind of thing they they will tell you what to do and how to do it they may not be the most fabulous strategist on how to make a bazillion dollars but they can put forth a schedule or a plan that you can follow and help you stick to the plan right so the ideal is to have both which is what you well, are yes well yes if you can get um, many, so many coaches out there have never made any money in business they just became coaches they learned how to coach Yes. And then they, you know, you ask them, what have you done? Uh, nothing. Just like you ask a lot of authors who, who uh, want to teach people how to write a book and how to market the book. And you say, how many have you sold? And they say, oh, 10. <laughs> yes. They don't really know how to do it. They just know how to teach it. Right. Well, I did the business bit first, as I'm sure we'll come on to. And my style was always a coaching style with my team. I didn't realize, you know, so I always... And still am of the belief that people have amazing ideas, amazing abilities that they don't even realize in sales. So I always had the ability to get that out of people. And then because of that, then I trained professionally as a coach. So that's where I can combine the two that I can bring the business acumen. And I also, you know, with even the leaders and entrepreneurs I work with, I can see the potential in them that they don't even see themselves. So I, you know, those two for me are extremely powerful to develop the entrepreneur and their business. So you're able to look at people and, and see what's under the surface, mm -hmm. whereas a lot of a lot of employers don't do that. Just they just say do this and do that, and they don't bother to look to see what else they could bring to the employee could bring to the table. Whereas you you do. Yes. Okay. Uh, tell us a little bit about the progression of your current business with. Um, well, what is it? The health business. You you have uh, was it like uh, older people homes for older people or health related kind of not nursing homes or are they nursing homes? I don't know what they are. Yes, so that's my family's business. I I left that business a year ago, but um, so my parents have nursing homes and a hotel, 
Um, so I grew up in that business. I started as a teenager working in the hotel, um, washing dishes and all those things you do. And then I was a director in that, that business for 15 years. And as you have said, that's during that time, we scaled the business from 250 employees to over 600. Um, and I believe we had three sites when I started and, and seven when I left. And one of the projects that I was most proud of actually was I opened the first lifestyle care home in Ireland that created and opened. Um, so that completely disrupted the elderly healthcare market in Ireland. So again, that was you know very important for me to get the right team around me and be able to get the best out of them in terms of their ideas and creativity and because that was a huge project. Okay. Yeah. So, so what is that? Describe to, to my listeners uh, what you mean by that term. So I created the term lifestyle care home because I, I wanted to create a concept that healthcare had very much gone down the line of medical care, which is obviously very, very important. You know, people's medication, they're being fed properly, they're being washed properly. But the bit that was being that was missed for me because the healthcare is under so much pressure financially and everything else was the mental and social interaction. And for me, that's as important for people's health and well-being as the physical and um, medical care. So, so I wanted to create a concept that was equally weighted on both sides. Um, so if I give you an example, when we opened the home, we put into a cafe, a spa, hairdressers, a nail bar, a cinema, and an Irish pub. Well, it sounds like a resort more than an old age home. Yeah, and, and the whole concept when you talk about the staff, like eight of the staff I took from um, a home we bought over, um, out of 25, eight of them were promoted into management roles. And, you know, the idea is those guys come up with the whole culture and the ethos of the place. Um, the lifestyle, you know, from eight in the morning to eight at night, there wasn't, there was always something to do, whether it was yoga, French classes, afternoon tea, drinks in the pub, traditional Irish music, cocktail making, yoga. Um, it was full on um, activity. So. So what did that do to the cost? Did it make it more expensive to run a place like that? Or did it actually lower the cost because there were less problems? Um, it was a huge investment, you know, multi-million pound sure. investment sure. at the outset. Um, it was slightly more expensive for the residents because the rooms where we had the cinema and the pub and the spa would have been bedrooms. So that revenue was taken away, um, but it had a phenomenal impact on the care of the elderly people. So we could see, you know, people with dementia who were medication was dropped, people with Parkinson's, people who were very aggressive, um, people whose family would have told us that living at home on their own, they were really depressed. They were like a new person. So, you know, that's not a financial tracker, but but for me, a, a huge, you know, tracking mechanism for the success of it. Yeah, many people consider nursing homes a warehousing facility for old people. It's ter terribly depressing. Yeah. You actually turned it into a nice place to live where they were happy to be there, I imagine. Yes, well, I wanted I wanted to create somewhere that elderly people wanted to go to rather than being on their own in their own homes. And I also wanted to create somewhere, one of the big challenges in care homes is grandchildren don't want to go to them because, as you rightly said, they're not historically very often nice places. So I thought if I create somewhere that grandchildren would love to come to on a Sunday, actually they're begging their parents to take them. Sunday was like a fun day, um, a family day. And, and we, we looked at that project, not only through the eyes of the elderly person, what they would need, but I also got my team who worked on it with me to look through the eyes of children. 
and what they would want in it. So, you know, once we combined those two views of it, um, that for me was what created the magic. Uh -huh. Sounds like a great idea. Do they do that in other parts of the world? Was, were you the first? I mean, did you copy somebody else's formula or did you come up with the thing on your own? I looked at places all over the world and I went to the UK and looked at a lot of different places. So there was elements from different things. Um, my background is hospitality as well. So obviously, you know, I've grown up in that environment in terms of, you know, exceptional customer experience and creating a, a real experience for people as opposed to just a bed and a dinner. And um, so that would have had a huge influence on it as well. My hat's off to you. That's great. I wish everybody would do that kind of thing. It would be much nicer to be old and frail or just old, you know, and have a place to live that was fun. I see here in Scottsdale, Arizona, there are a few places that are sort of like that. There's one place in particular that sounds a lot like yours that people love it there, but it's very expensive. You know, there's like, I don't know, $100,000 buy-in, and then it's a fortune of money, and very few people can actually afford it. The concept is great, but it's not practical because it's not good for the mainstream, and, and the health insurance doesn't pay for any of it. So yours sounds like it's a little more expensive, but not so much so that it puts it out of the reach of most of the people. No, it would, it would be a little more expensive to balance out the rooms that had to be taken out, but not, no way, it wouldn't be at that level. So it's a workable, uh, it's a workable scheme. Yes. It seems to me like even though it's more expensive, you'd probably wind up lowering the cost of health care. Like you said, you can lower your medications and there's people probably get sick less often. Happy people tend to get sick less often. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have all the problems that you have with people who are just surviving. They're actually enjoying yes. life, right? Well, that was my mindset. A lot of the medical people weren't convinced by it because I didn't have the evidence, but I just you know, I just said to them all, look, I, you know, even as a young person, if you feel better and mentally you're better, physically you're better. So have you taken this, this strategy and, and marketed around the world, gone and, uh, you know, do you speak uh, to groups or go to other homes wherever around the world and, and tell them how to do this? Or do you just kind of keep it to yourself? No, no, I'm happy to talk to anyone about it, but I, I left that business to start my own coaching business. So as you know, starting any new business. Um, us entrepreneurs, we try to do too many things at once. I certainly do, so I have to focus on this new business first, and then when I get that up and running, I want to do some speaking events and, and, and help you know, I would love, I would love all over the world that that concept is everywhere. I, I truly believe that it's what elderly people deserve. Seems like you could be make a pretty good living just being a consultant and instead of helping people, helping companies set these things up. But it takes time. It takes money. One thing about us entrepreneurs, <laughs> we tend to get bored. And as soon as they get really good at something, we want to do something different. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, as soon as I got that project up and running, we, we opened it in May and I filled it by the December. And in the January, I left to start my own business. So, yes, a short window because we were disrupting the markets. But I had, a, I mean, it wasn't me that did it. I mean, I had a phenomenal team of staff who did most of the work. I came up with the idea and, and brought them along with me. But um, but I could never have done it without them. So what are you doing now to find coaching clients? So a lot of my clients um, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, they like, I write a lot of value add stuff on LinkedIn. Um, so I see a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, like what I write and reach out to me through that way. Um, so I, people in the UK, I, I did my MBA in London, so I would have a lot of connections there. And then there's, you know, I 
in Northern Ireland is where I live. Um, I would be well enough known in, in the business community here. So I have a few clients here as well that have business in Northern Ireland, but it's also international as well. What about your uh, personal life? You have a, some kind of relationship with somebody? You have time for that? Or you have no time no. for anybody else but your business? <laughs> no, no relationship with the men, but hopefully sometime. Sometime, when the, yeah. when you have the time. Well, you just, well sometimes yeah. you just have to meet the right person and you make the time. Yes. But I know you sound like you're extremely uh, busy, and I would think it would be difficult. It's hard to do two major things at once, and those are two major things. Because that's a problem yeah. a lot of us have. You know, we have a business, we start it up. It takes 13 hours a day to get it going. People who are not in business for themselves think it's easy, and there's all kinds. Of, you make all kinds of money, and most entrepreneurs make about 50 cents an hour in the first year. And yes. so, but after a while, you could make a lot of money, but it's tough at the beginning. And a lot of times your home life or your social life goes by the wayside. Yes. So, but, the, but the only, you know, this year hasn't brought very many good things, but the only good thing from that point of view is we're in lockdown. So I just decided, okay, my focus is this business and I'm, you know, really going to concentrate. So when we come out of it, I'm on a, on a better footing and um, <laughs> my social life will get better. I'm sure it will. Yeah, well, I don't see you. you're smart, you're attractive and friendly. I don't think you have a problem once you really want to do that. Um, speaking of crises, I'm looking through your website and there's some lists here that I'm reading. And you've got items like real life scars and growing pains of scaling businesses, crashing and burning out herself, feeling lost and not knowing which way to go, being frustrated, feeling lonely. Okay, that's a big list of depressing items. How did you, what, what, what were they about? And how did you get through that? How did you go from being burnt out to being enthused? Or how did you go from uh, being frustrated and unhappy to achieving things and doing what you wanted to do? Mm -hmm. Yes, on my new, I mean, my website, I wanted to be very authentic in terms of entrepreneurship is amazing. And I love, I love it. It's, you know, I couldn't do anything else, but, but I wanted to be honest with people that with, you know, what looks like the success on the outset, there is major challenges underneath. And, and I think the more entrepreneurs who are honest about that, the better, because I, you know, I think sometimes, particularly when I was younger, you think you're the only one. Um, so if I use the burning out example, um, I mean, you've said it 13 hours a day, entrepreneurs, when they are addicted to this and the adrenaline and that we don't stop. Um, so I would have been in my late twenties and I woke up one morning and couldn't get out of bed. Um, so I was probably five, six months um, where I couldn't go to work. I couldn't function. So you were that exhausted? Yes, yes. Just um, there is, you know, slowing down and stopping is a big challenge for me um, because I'm so passionate about everything I do, whether it's, you know, my work or, you know, helping other people or my coaching or my client's business. Um, so I really have to build in. And, and it's very basic stuff, sleep water, exercise, good foods, um, but I have to keep a real close eye on it um, all the time. Yeah, and Ireland's a very beautiful country, and you have lots of nice seaside views, and there's places you can go and take a walk and mm -hmm. get the spaghetti out of your head, as they say. And yes. I imagine you did a lot of that, too, when you were I do. I mean, stage, I love, right? Yes, I love where I live, and we're very, very lucky. The mountains and the beaches and the fresh air is what I grew up with, so... So that is phenomenal for just clearing your head and, and switching off. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the people in Ireland, from what I know about you guys anyway, tend to be a little more authentic, 
have less airs about you and you still have the tradition of meeting in the pubs daily or on the weekend or whenever however how long it is but you go and it doesn't matter whether you're the town's cobbler or the ceo everybody's on the same level when they're in the pub right yes yes and it's brought you know i i suppose from my point of view as well i don't really understand i mean the world right now is a massive leveler you know the most important people right now are saving our lives and some of them are being paid the lowest wages um so i think for me it's a point in time as well that everyone needs to take a good look at who is being paid a lot of money and what are they doing for it versus um who isn't because for me human beings are human beings and, and we all are equal in terms of human beings we might have different jobs and we might earn different money but but we are still equal in terms of being a human being and adding value to the world well i think uh the people in the entertainment industry tend to get paid uh a much different level than the people who go and get entertained and, and that's mm -hmm. a function of just well if i make a movie or i cut a, a record album or, or i'm a sports giant i'm a great basketball player whatever it is it's all entertainment right and you're out there it takes a, a long time to get to that position it's very competitive and once you're there you're entertaining millions of people sometimes what you want is a little piece from everybody's pocket who's gone to see you and were benefited by you but that adds up to be millions of dollars a year very often whereas the local physician you go there you pay him your hundred dollars or whatever they charge for the visit and they can't scale it like that yeah. so from a societal point viewpoint, it seems like our priorities of a way off kilter, but it's just the way the businesses are set up. I guess if people didn't get paid wages or profits, if there was no money, then it would be equal. But as long as there's money, <laughs> the people who are creating the value for the wealth want the wealth to go with it. And so yes. there's always going to be that disparity. Yes. But right? I think, I mean, there's a lot of people who are very, very wealthy that give back and do a lot for society. So it's, you know, for me, it's not the problem of the wealth they have, it's, but it's what you do with it as well. Um, it's very important. Yeah, I can't argue with that one. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, when you first started out your career as a businesswoman, you were how old? Five or something like that? You, you were very young, weren't you? Well, I say that when people ask me, when did I become an entrepreneur? And I said, I suppose my entrepreneurial journey started at five years old around my parents are our family kitchen table. I grew up in our business that my parents had um, and started in Northern Ireland and and they would have had those businesses during the troubles in Northern Ireland. So, you know, yes, we're in a crisis right now, but, you know, I've been through many crises um, in my family business. And so this is just another thing for, for entrepreneurs to have to deal with. Um, but my first business, um, well, I sold jewelry at school at 10 years old, but I didn't make very much money doing that. <laughs> I, that was uh, it doesn't matter how much money you made. It's the fact I, I hear it a lot from uh, successful entrepreneurs later in life. They've made some of them made lots of money, and it typically starts out. They start out young, and they start out making nothing or next to nothing, or you know, a few bucks. But it's the the drive of the person that mm -hmm. that desire to be in business, not go out and find a job. You know, they, no, they say, I "Oh, I got this that. stuff. I could sell it to people. I can make money. Let's try it." Rather than Oh, maybe I can go find a, a summer job and work for a while. And it's a totally different mindset, right? So when you were 10, even though you didn't make any money, you were, sell <laughs> you were selling jewelry, right, to what, people in school? 
my mum's friend, so I used oh. to make it and sell it. And then at 15, I was running buses to local nightclubs for my school friends. <laughs> I love that one. You're <laughs> running did. buses, are you? You're, you're yeah, on limo like, service. Yeah. At um, how old? 15. 15. That's really, I'm, you can get a driver's license at 15 where you are. Uh, no, well, I wasn't driving it. Um, oh, you weren't driving it? No, but I just hired the buses and uh, my brother and I, and yeah, we made, we made a nice profit. Even better. Uh, you were the business owner. So you yes. worked on your business, not in your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to know that's really unusual for a 15 year old, right? To do that at that level. Yeah. Yes. Well, I didn't. I remember being in primary school and um, and I knew in, in grammar school as well or secondary school that everyone wanted to be teachers or doctors or accountants. And I, I remember thinking I'm really different because I don't want to do any of those things. And it, when I was eight or nine, my principal in school asked me, what did I want to do as a career? And there was a a high street um, teenage fashion store. I would be really into fashion as well and, and might do that someday. But I said, I want to own this fashion chain called Tammy Girl. So that was my dream of what I was going to do in my life. I, you know, I never, ever once remember saying I was going to do this as a job. Or, um, well, the only, the only one I was quite interested in was an air hostess because I wanted to travel the world. That was the easiest well, way to do it. You wound up doing that. You just had to pay for it, right? You, yes, for business, you yes. have to travel and school. Well, whatever, that's, I, I travel now and, and work all over the world. So that that's where that came from. I see. So you never were a, who do you call an air hostess? No. A flight attendant? No. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I guess that could be a rewarding job, but it's restrictive. Right? You can't go anywhere from there. And uh, you've got to deal with the customers face-to-face -face on a constant basis. Mm -hmm. Whereas you are running a business and you have little little times of interaction with each person and you let them go and off and do what they're going to do and you you guide and direct them. Yes. Very different. Very different. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else have you done in between that was something interesting? Well, tell me about oh, – here's a good question for you. Do you have any spectacular failures, anything you tried that just completely bombed that you expected to do well? Or have you, have you always been successful? I've never had anything that has failed, but I've made humongous mistakes along the way. Um, I remember, so so my background is hotels as well. My parents were hotels, so I grew up in hospitality. So one project I was leading um, in the hotel, we it was after the recession. We were doing a lot of strategic work in terms of, you know, refocusing the hotel. And, and I had a team of probably 12. Actually, that project, it failed in my eyes. The consultant who was working with us was happy with it, but it, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And, and actually what happened there was I had never had the experience of doing something like that before. And, and as you know, being an entrepreneur, we want to do 20 things. We don't want to do one. And, and when you do 20 things on your own, you can do it on your own. But when you have a team of 12 and you're going through a recession and a lot of change and change management, so we tried to do far too many things actually um, was the challenge. And... It wasn't just each person had to deliver a project, but, but each person on the management team had to interact and support each other's project. So single-handedly their project was okay, but then the pressure came on when they had to help each other um, because obviously it was a team effort and, and that was the bit that we didn't foresee well enough. Sorry, I, I didn't foresee well enough, but but, but so, huge learning. Mainly you just tried to take on too many things at once, right? That was the biggest portion of that mistake. So the, the, the moral of that story is, you know, be focused and try not to do too, too many things at once because it's hard to do many things well. 
you can always do one yes. thing well or two things, but yes. you can't yeah. do 20 things well all at the same time, especially if you've never done them before. No, okay. and you can't, if you're trying to change a team and a culture and a mindset of a team, that's not instant. You know, you can build a building and knock it down quickly. You can, I'm not saying you can change technology quickly, but it's processes. Those things are easier when you're talking about people and trying to shift their mindset and change how they do things. That does not happen easily. Um, no. Well, tell me a little bit about your speaking career. You've gone and spoken in front of large groups, haven't you? And how did you, how did that come about? And were you really scared and nervous when you first did it? Or uh, was it natural for you? Um, I've spoken, I mean, I, I didn't go out to be a professional speaker. I had just been asked to do quite a number of events. So mainly um, in Northern Ireland in the business community and Whenever, you know, when I'm being interviewed about my journey, I'm not nervous about that because that, you know, it's like tonight, whatever you ask me, I, you know, I've lived through the journey. Um, and I, I always say that everyone who speaks is nervous and you should be nervous because you're in front of an audience and they've given their time to you. But I wouldn't be nervous to the point of it debilitating me. I love, you know, I love it. Um, I love being able to if there's any knowledge or wisdom that people can get from it to help them on their journey. Um, but you should, you should have a little bit of nerves to keep you on your, on your toes. Definitely. It's, it's like any performer, you know, singers, actors, they all have it. Um, but it, it comes down to, you know, people say to me, how do you do it? And it's practice. It's, you know, it's no different to anything else. You, you rehearse it and rehearse it. And, and yes, you have to be authentic. You don't want to be inauthentic, but, you know, when the nerves and the adrenaline kick in, you want to have practiced it beforehand, that, that it just flows as if you're just talking to one person. And it, for me, it doesn't matter whether you're talking to five people or 5,000. Um, yes, you're, you know, you might have to, your body language might have to be bigger or your style of how you present it might have to be slightly different and the techniques, but, but it's the same thing um, really? in terms of. So somebody who's spoken in front of 5, 10, 15 people on a regular basis, suddenly they get a gig to talk in front of 5,000. Mm -hmm. You're saying that there's very little difference between the two, right? Just big emotions, talk louder. Uh, it's not really that much different. Well, the, the first big challenge is, is people's mindset. So when you go from 5 to 5,000, the panic button kicks in and the imposter syndrome. <laughs> um, yeah. So actually... That, that comes out in your energy and the audience will pick that up. So you need to do a lot of, and as my experience would be, you need to do a lot of work on your mind first and your own confidence. Um, but the message you're delivering is no different, but how you do it would, would be different. Yes, as I say, the body language, the techniques you use, um, because you're just amplifying it much more. Um, so you need you need to understand the the techniques you use. I mean, I and I'm going to do more training next year actually with a, with a guy. Um, you know, I would recommend to anybody, and, and particularly females, I know we're both in the C-suite, but there was a speaker on it recently, a lady, and, and she recommended that all females particularly should do um, presentation skills and because our voice quite often can be quite high, and that is not easy to listen to um, in a presentation. Um, so you, 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 And once you get to see yourself, listen to yourself, albeit that we all hate listening to ourselves, but but it is a really good way to see what, you know, bad habits you might have or things that you're doing that you don't even realize you're doing. I get that. And when I started recording these podcast episodes and I would go back and listen to, to them so I could edit them and I hear myself speaking and see what I do, I was pretty amazed at some of the 
the good and the bad. It was luckily I didn't sound bad, but there was a lot of little things that I did too. Words that I would say, filler words, um, and uh, and uh, scratch my face every two minutes. And there's a lot, a lot of things, and, and none of those work well when you're giving a speech in front of a, a large group. It's important to get rid of all those little extraneous things. I, I went through Toastmasters for a while years ago, and I remember learning some of that there because every time you say, ah, uh, um, they click this little thing. <laughs> and after a while, you get really tired of hearing them clicking at you, you know? And you, so you learn how to stop that, and you learn how to think before you speak, just like a good attorney. They they learn how to speak, how to think before they speak, so that every word counts. And that's true with any kind of presentation. Now, these skills you're talking about, all these mindset skills, is that something you teach in your coaching? Yes, yeah, so I, I do a lot of, as well as a business, of a lot of mindset stuff with leaders because I've never met, you know, and I've met some phenomenally successful entrepreneurs. I've never met any of them that have a perfect mindset 100% of the time. Human beings have good days and bad days. You know, they have crises, their resilience is hit, imposter syndrome kicks in. And by default, when you're, you know, I work with entrepreneurs who are pushing boundaries, who want to do things differently, who are growing their business. So I say it's growing pains. Every time you grow to the next level, there's going to be pain of some description, otherwise you're not growing. Um, so it's, you know, it's helping people constantly elevate to that next level and understand that that, that is normal. Um, and there's lots of different techniques that I would use. And, and everything I use with clients is what I've used in my own business, you know, in our family business and what I've used myself. So I don't, you know, yes, I've learned techniques and, and things um, through my coaching training and business, but, but there's nothing I use that's just theory. Um, it's all, all what I've used myself and with other clients. So tried and true. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I would uh, be foolish not to take this opportunity to ask you a few things about my business. For example, I'm doing this podcast for Amazing Women, and I'm looking for just meaningful conversations with extraordinary businesswomen, mostly businesswomen anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, what recommendations off the top of your head would you have for me? And the second part of the question would be, what do you think women who would listen to this podcast would want to hear? What kind of guests do you think they would really prefer to hear me interview? What's needed out there? Um, I think quite often um, female-led, whether it's events or groups, have all females in them. I would love to see a mixture. Um, so there's guys on as well, but they need to be um, guys who are very much into equality and they understand that, you know, we all add the same value. Um, I think the world is in a, you know, a changing place on every level. Um, and I think women now, you know, we've seen with Ruth Baden Ginsburg, it's when serious conversations happen, women need to be around the table. Um, so I think there's a, a huge piece for women to step up now into their own confidence and their own light and realize the importance that they contribute to the world, to society, to business. Um, so helping them, you know, someone to talk to them about how they do that in terms of, of their own confidence. And, and I just, I mean, I'm always just really inspired by very inspirational leaders who have, who have been there and done it. Um, and, you know, particularly, you know, for me, Ruth Aidan Ginsburg, I'm going to go back to, I mean, I'm not an 
in law, but I mean, her story was just so inspirational. What she sacrificed, um, very pioneering in terms of how she changed America and, and the world, actually. Um, so for me, those people will always have a huge amount of value to add to, to any conversation. Yeah, she definitely made an impact. I'd be willing to say she changed the whole world a little, a little bit, certainly America. And interestingly enough, she was pretty much the spearhead of the women's rights movement in a lot of ways. And her first case was was the rights of a, of a man, <laughs> right? But But it affected the rights of women. She took that and used it to propel herself through the whole fight that she ensued years later. But that was an interesting story, too. I haven't read much about her, but I, I did see that movie on Netflix about her. And I don't know how accurate it is, but I'm going to assume it's close. And even that little two hours was just a, amazingly uh, impressive to see what this person did and how long she lasted. And she was on the Supreme Court for I don't know how many years, but a long, long time. It made huge differences. So what you're telling me and what I'm hearing anyway is, I should look for successful women who are inspirational, have good stories to tell, who've made a difference, or who went from A to B, and where A was something small and B was something large. So they are, well, they're inspirational, right? The, the stories are interesting, and they've accomplished things that most people have not accomplished, which will give other women the idea that, well, if they could do it, I can do it, and I, I should do it. Yes. Right? Yes. And okay. I think you know, for me, you, you know, you pointed out my website, the the negative things, you know, I, as I said, I always wanted to be very authentic in terms of, yes, this is a success, but actually this is also the challenge. I say this is not a social media version of my business story. It's the real version. Um, and I think, <laughs> you know, I think it's only fair that everyone gets to see both sides so they understand the challenges and, and then they feel, you know, there'll be some people who are going through terrible times in their business right now. Um, we have all been there, um, and, and I just hope the one thing that comes out of this time is people are a lot more supportive of each other. Um, so, okay, I get that, and I, I agree with you. Uh, I don't get much out of listening to somebody who is successful out of the gate. I can't relate to them. Well, like a guy like Elon Musk, you know, he's brilliant, he's a genius. Well, whether you like him or not, he's very smart. And he's had a few really, really successful businesses, and he continues on that trajectory. He's made billions. I can't learn a lot from him, a little bit, not a lot, but I can learn a lot from somebody who started out with nothing and built a career and built a business, and now maybe he's a millionaire or multimillionaire because I can relate to that because I didn't start out with what they say is a silver spoon in my mouth, right? I, I didn't have a, a, a very unusual brilliant genius brain, nor did I have a family that had a lot of money. So I had to start out from nothing. And there's a lot more people like me than like Elon Musk or, uh, dare I say it, Donald Trump. You know, he was born to a family mm -hmm. that was somewhat successful, uh, or, or maybe Bill Gates or, or Steve Jobs. Like them or not, they were very successful, but they started out a little bit above where most people start. And they they... They grew on that. Listening to you is very inspiring because you sound like, well, I don't want to say an ordinary person, but you didn't start with a huge leg up, although your family was in business and they did well. So you had good role models. Yes. But I mean, you didn't walk I mean, out the door with a million dollars in your bank account, right? You started from scratch too. 
Yes, but I mean, you know, I had the advantage. So in a sense, I did start at a different level because I, I, I learned a lot at a very young age that most people don't learn, you know, until they're well in the business. So I didn't realize that. Um, so I was very lucky that, that I grew up in that environment, um, if, you know, because that's what I wanted. I wanted to run my own business. So, so in essence, I, you know, I, I had a bit of a leg up um, in that respect. Okay. Well, all right. Well, then, uh, I don't know. I still think you're a good role model. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Even but though I, you I had a little like, I mean, yeah, some people have a leg up. They don't do anything with it, right? You were yeah, smart I enough. Don't I don't believe mean, anyone that, you know, money, you know, yes, people might think a million pounds or a million dollars is a lot of money. It doesn't take very long to waste it if you don't know what you're doing or you don't work hard. So I don't ever think, you know, yes, I can understand Elon Musk and, me and Steve Jobs and these guys that maybe were ahead of most people, but but I don't know anyone successful that hasn't been through major challenges and ups and downs and doesn't work exceptionally hard. I mean, the more successful people I meet, the harder they work. Um, That's true. Because, well, you know, they just love it. It's that entrepreneurial piece. It's just, they're addicted to it. Um, yeah, one of my favorite stories is Oprah Winfrey. She started out with nothing and she was shunned because of her looks and she was just determined. And then she became a whole industry all by herself. Yes. Uh, she's an example, again, of somebody with an extraordinary mind and discipline, but not that much. She mainly just was determined. And she started out at the bottom. No question yes. about it. She wanted to yes. be a weather person or something. I can't remember. A newscaster or something yeah. with TV yeah. news. And look what she did. Amazing. So she's a Amazing. really good example of somebody who is gone from nothing to somebody who's world famous and yes. extremely uh, successful. Okay. Very, very inspirational. So your story is interesting. It sounds to me like you could help a lot of people. Uh, you've been there and done that for sure. Just like the, the tagline from The Hobbit, right? There and back again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so how can people get a hold of you if they want to? You have a company name or you just go by your name. You have a website. You got a, I know you have a website. Email address. What's the best way to find you? So my website is karam.org.uk. So C-A-R-A-M. Um, my email address, if anyone wants to reach out, is hello at karamacklin.com. And then you can find me on LinkedIn as well. I'd love to connect and you'll see some of you know, the work I do and the posts I do in that to add value to, to other entrepreneurs. Sounds easy enough to me. So mm -hmm. if you want to talk to Kara, just reach out. You'll find her. She's easy to find. Okay. Well, this has been uh, a lot of fun. I actually learned a few things. And I'm sure this is going to be one of the better episodes, at least in the first several months because of your wisdom and mainly because of your experience. I like the fact that you've been there and done that and now you're teaching it. You didn't just learn to teach and go out and try to tell people. You've actually been in the trenches. You've been successful. You have experience and you can translate that. Not everybody's as gifted as you that they can share that and teach other people, but you, you apparently do. So I think that's Wonderful. You truly are an amazing woman. And so thank you for being on. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women podcast. Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, theamazingwomenpodcast.com to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.